We're in a series called Unstoppable Power, and we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen to that? How many of you can say, thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Wow, I hear this whole group here speak in unison. It's so good to hear everybody talk at the same time. Amen? Yeah. You know, it's impossible to live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. It's impossible. There's, I think we spoke about that last week, all the enemies that we face, the world, Satan, our flesh, um, our hurts, our wounds, our offenses. There's just so many things that we have to deal with that if it isn't for the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be doomed. Okay? But the good news is that power is available. It is already working in us. Amen? Amen? All he wants to do is for us to believe that it's true. Believe it. Amen? And that's the greatest struggle that we face. Did you know that? Our greatest struggle that we face is to believe that God is actually in us and working in us and working through us. Amen? But God wants to deal with that struggle. He wants us to be believers in that respect. Amen? So, unstoppable power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to subtitle this, uh, The Perfect Husband. The Perfect Husband. Since you're right there? Okay, everything good? Okay. <laughs> so the perfect husband. Now, we're going to call it the perfect husband because this was Valentine's week. You remember Valentine? Husbands? Okay. It was Valentine's week. Okay. So as far as I know, okay, as far as I recall, there is no such thing as a perfect husband. In human terms. I'm far from perfect. And my wife can testify to that. But there is one who is perfect. His name is Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. He is the perfect husband. It's kind of weird for me to say that as a male. <laughs> but I know exactly what I'm saying, okay? He is the perfect husband for his body of Christ, the church. He really takes care of us, okay? So as he is our perfect husband and he knows what he is doing, we need to know what he is doing. We need to know what he is accomplishing. In other words, we need to have a knowledge of his desire for us. Yeah. Ladies, when you date somebody, what is the first thing you want to know? Their character, okay, yeah, that's a good one. But you want to know his desires. Before you even know his character, you want to know, does he really desire me? What does he desire? You want to know his desires. You need to know his desires, okay? Well, if Jesus is our perfect husband, then we need to know his desires for us because he has desires for you, and they're good ones. Their desires are going to build you up. They're going to lift you up. They're going to heal you. They're going to propel you to where he wants you to be. Amen. So we need to know his desires, okay? And we need to see how he uses also his power in our lives. You know, God is active in us. Even if we don't feel it, he is working. He is actively doing great things in you, even in your mess, even in your troubles, whatever you face, whether good or bad, he is there and he is working in ways that you do not understand yet, but he is working. He never stops. 
He never stops. Can you say amen? amen? So we need to know his desires for us. We need to know that there is power there available as well. He doesn't just desire things for you. He has the power to make them come to pass in your life. Isn't that good news? Because there are things that I desire for my wife, but I don't have the power, the mulaf, to make it come to pass. But he does. He's got the power. Amen? And the problem that we face is that we know more of our desires than we know of his desires. And much of our desires are not that good. And furthermore, our flesh has desires. And for some of us, we are more acquainted with the desires of our flesh than we are with the desires of Jesus for our lives. Okay, and that's what I want us to learn today. We, want, we need to learn today that we have desires called the desires of the flesh. And for many of us, that's more real than desires of Jesus for us. And we need to learn what his desires is, what he is doing, what he is accomplishing because of his desires through his power in our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. For that, let's go to Romans chapter five, chapter 8, verse 5. We're going to begin there. And I'm going to read it from the ESV version. Great version, by the way. For it says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Basically, it's saying that you are going to focus your attention on one or the other, either on the flesh or on the Spirit, His desires and what He is doing in your life. Let me read that from the Message Bible right now, right afterwards. It says, Watch this. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. It's amazing how the message simply brings different lights to something that is so black and white, you know? Um, it's incredible. Basically, what he is saying is um, the flesh has nothing good for you. There's nothing there that's going to help you, okay? Now, when I say flesh, I'm not talking about your body, okay? Because some of us adore our bodies, okay? I'm not talking about our bodies because if you were to eliminate your body, you would, you know, not be here on earth, You'll go to heaven <laughs> if you're a Christian. Okay, so we're not talking about the flesh as bad, get rid of it, it's no good. No, you need your body, you need your flesh. When the Bible talks about your flesh, it's talking about your old unbelieving heart. Now, your old unbelieving heart, the heart of stone, the self-reliant you. Okay? The faithless you. You ever have those moments where you become faithless? Where you rely more on your strength than you do in the power of God? How do I know I'm relying more on my strength? Well, you don't pray as you ought to. You don't humble yourself as you ought to. You're not broken as you need to be. You don't uh, study the Bible as you need to. You know, all that stuff that we have to keep reminding you sometimes. You're not aware of God in your life as you should be. So it's not talking about your flesh. It's talking about the old, unbelieving heart. 
the faithless you, the self-reliant you, okay, the heart of stone you. And we all face that to a certain measure every day of our lives. So you know it's real. You know it's there, okay? So that's what he's talking about. So when we say the flesh, we're talking about this you that we struggle with every single day, okay? Now let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. You know what that's saying? That's saying there's a war going on inside of us right now. <laughs> there's a struggle. So for me, this is an eye-opening text, first of all. Secondly, if you are struggling with your flesh, if you're struggling, if there's a struggle in your life happening right now, even before or after you became a Christian, that's also, number two, good news. Because it would be much worse for you if you didn't have a struggle. That doesn't make sense, Pastor. Yes, it does. Because if you didn't have a struggle, if you just sinned and lived and followed the appetites of your flesh without any restraint, okay, that would mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. So basically, you just do what you want and love doing it, and you want more of it. Then you're not saved if that's you. Holy Spirit is not in you. But if there's a struggle, if you have to think twice, three times, four times, five times before you do something wrong because you, your conscience is bothering you and, and your heart is, 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 is condemning you for doing it, then there's something going on. There's a struggle, and that struggle is because the Holy Spirit is in you. Amen. So a struggle is good. Okay. And you have a struggle because the Holy Spirit opposes everything of the flesh that the flesh desires for you. Now, your growth as a Christian will be to learn how to yield and trust the desires of the Holy Spirit more than the desires of your flesh. As a matter of fact, the way you know you're growing as a Christian is when you know what you are able to do apart from the Spirit. In other words, you become more sensitive to sin in your life. <laughs> you know your heart better. The more sensitive you become to your heart, to the, to the things that you can do in the flesh, okay, the more you have been growing. So God wants you to know this. God wants you to know his desires for you and trust in his desires for you. But keep in mind, there is a battle, there is a battle that goes on inside of you, and it's a battle that you face every day, but every single day of your life, you can trust in the power of the Spirit, because He'll get you over every single day of your life. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's look at the desires of the flesh, what it wants to do, because I just said desires of the flesh, so I mean, there could be so many things. So let's focus on what it actually uh, wants to do and take you to the desires of your flesh, okay? Now, when I say the desires of your flesh, some of you think, oh, uh, anger, uh, jealousy, uh, discord, fightings, lust, and all that. Yeah, that's true. Those are called the works of the flesh. But there are desires of the flesh as well. 
okay, which I believe come before all the works of the flesh. Okay? Before you get into envy, something else takes place before that. It's called desires, which leads to works. Just like faith in Christ will lead to the fruit of the Spirit, desires of the flesh will lead to the works of the flesh. Jealousy, envy, discord, etc., etc., etc. Okay? The first one is called legalism. Legalism. Legalism is a desire of the flesh. Why? Because legalism, in simple terms, means relying on the strength of your flesh to please yourself and to try to please God. It's relying on the strength of your flesh. Now, some Christians think this. Oh, you're saved by grace... And then you try your hardest to stay as a Christian afterwards. If you think that way, you can be more wrong. The truth is, the one that saved you by grace will also keep you by grace. Once you're in, it's because he brought you in. And he will keep you in until the end. But legalism says, you know, I have to do my part to keep this thing moving along. No, you don't do your part. What you do is trust in his help and his power to keep you doing your part. Now, I was reading a story this week about a young girl who was very active in the church. The, you know, the story says that, you know, she tried her hardest, okay, in everything of Christianity, okay? She had quiet morning prayer and meditation of the Word. She always memorized Scripture. She, she led a small Bible study group. She never missed a Sunday morning service. And so she was a very active Christian girl, and I'm not saying against these. These things are awesome that she was doing, okay? But in the end, she said, and she confessed, she said, it seemed like everything that I did was not enough, okay? And she kept on kicking herself for it, like, you got to do more, you got to do more, got to do more. And then in the end, she came, she asked herself this question, what would it take to please God? Have you ever been in that place? What will it take for me to please God? What else do I need to do? So, <laughs> so this girl was, came to the point in her life where, you know, she felt tired. You know, I've done all this, and it feels like I haven't done enough. So she went into her pastor, okay, and thank God for this very wise pastor. And he told her about her situation, and this is what he said. He said, if you're a Christian... God is already pleased with you. Okay? He's already pleased with you. And God is not relating to you based on a to-do list in order for him to love you and 
see you as his favorite child. Because if you live a Christianity of the to-do list Christianity, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to lose all your joy. Christianity will be nothing more than a legalistic religion. And by the way, Christianity is not what you can do for God. Christianity is what God did for you. What we do for him comes from believing in him out of love for him. And not to earn his favor, his blessings. You can't earn what you've never paid for. Does that make any sense to you? So this pastor, I mean, very wise man, he came and he said, listen, let me tell you a little story. It's a true story. And I'm going to share it with you. He says that his daughter Robin, okay, um, enrolled in high school honor English class, okay. And it was her first time in this honor English class. And so she went to the first day of class, and the teacher talked about all her expectations, uh, handed out an overview of what they would be studying. Robin was completely overwhelmed, he said. She came home and told her father that he had to go to talk with the teacher to get her out of that class. (laughs) So he agreed to set up a conference during which he and the teacher struck an agreement. The teacher wanted Robin to remain in the class, so she offered to give her an A at the very beginning. (laughs) Some of you students here are like, what? I want that teacher. (laughs) The teacher gave Robin an A from the very beginning with the understanding that Robin still do the work and participate in the class discussions. So Robin agreed to the arrangement. And... Listen to this. And do you know what the teacher discovered? Robin turned an A work anyway. The teacher, why? Because the teacher removed the threat of failure. And in its absence, Robin excelled. That's exactly what God did for us. He removed the threat of failure. And he says, now, serve me out of love. The threat has been taken away. You don't need to try to earn me and my blessings. I already gave you an A. I removed the threat out of the way. Just love me and relate to me and do things because you love me. Is that eye-opening? He removed the threat out of the way. So legalism will do that to you. Remember the older son in the story of the prodigal child? The prodigal son just came back dirty, repentant, and he he didn't get what he wanted. He got what his father wanted for him. Whereas the older son, his complaining was, remember, father, I have worked hard for you all these years. And all I got is a little skinny goat. While my younger brother, who went out whoring, got a fat calf. The younger brother gets the fat calf, whereas the 
older brother who worked hard all his life trying to earn his father's affection got nothing but a skinny, probably a sick little skinny goat. So that's what happens with us when we try to earn God's respect and love for us and blessings. Whereas if you understand how much the Father loves you, and his arms are always open wide for you when you come to him, and he has the fatted calf already waiting for you, he's got abundance already prepared for you, that will change our attitude completely. And it will cause us to excel in our Christianity. And that will actually give power to us to live a right life. To say no to sin. Another desire of the flesh is license. License, you know what license is? Not your driver's license. License is using the grace of God as an excuse for sinning. Does the grace of God excuse you for sinning? No, it doesn't. Paul said, how, should, how can we go back and live in sin again? God forbid. Now, when you properly understand, see, the problem is some people, they grab what they want to hear and they run with it. <laughs> now, when you properly understand the teachings of Paul, the apostle, in the grace of God, that, those teachings remove the desire for sin. See, as long as you remain legalistic, you're going to have the, the strong desire to sin. Because you relate to God based on a, a list of things that you have to do in order to earn God's acceptance. And that, my friend, will actually make you sin more. But when you understand how good God is, and that he has already removed the threat out of the way, then in the end, your heart doesn't want to sin anymore. For example, if I give you, if I told all of you, after the service is done, I don't want any of you going into that bathroom today. Nobody is allowed to go into the bathroom today. Right now, in your mind, you're thinking, why is he prohibiting us from going into the bathroom? Right? Now I want to go to the bathroom. <laughs> now I want to see what's in that bathroom that he's trying to hide from us. Right? Because human nature is like that. If you tell human nature what not to do, then by default he will want to do it. So if you keep telling people, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, you better not this, then guess what? The flesh is going to want to do it. Somebody's got it over here. But if you tell people, what God did for them to remove the threat, to forgive them of their sins, the sacrifice that was made, the love that we see in Christ for us. All that he did, then that softens our hearts. Amen. That causes us to fall in love with him. And out of love for what he did for us, the incentive to go in sin is removed. You know, but there are some people that are more focused on what you can't do than what you can do. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians are more known by what they're against than what they're for. You can't do this. You can't do this. Oh, shut up. You know, start preaching what you're for. 
<laughs> uh, next desire of the flesh is to return to the old covenant. Guilt, condemnation, anger, the Mosaic law. We're not under the Mosaic law, church. We're under the grace of God, which is superior to the law. Bible says that the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So once you come to Christ, the law has done its job. It's no longer part of your life. Now you're under the law of love. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. That's the law that you're under right now. And the good news is the Holy Spirit helps you to fulfill even that law. Because now you have his power to help you. So, but the flesh wants you to go back into the Mosaic law. Go back into the Old Testament system. And we see some churches doing that. They're exalting Israel and the law as if it was still for the Christians today. And no, it's not for the Christians today. Paul spoke against that. But the flesh loves that. Why? Because the Old Testament system was all about attaining a righteousness in your own strength. You do this, do that, do this, do that, do that, blah, 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 and you'll gain God's favor. So the flesh loves that. And God gave that to Israel in the Old Testament, not, to, not so that they can attain God's favor, but to show them that they can't attain God's favor. It has to be by grace. Amen. That's why Abraham, back in Genesis, became the man of faith, because he saw that he couldn't do it. So he says, I'm just going to believe you, God. <laughs> and then comes Israel and tries to attain God's favor through works. When God gave him the law, that was meant to show them that could, they couldn't do it. That's why Paul says the law is a schoolmaster. The law wasn't designed to, to give you a ladder to success. The, ladder was, the, the law was designed to show you that you can't even climb first step and make you so frustrated with yourself that you have to turn to Jesus. Say, so, say, Jesus, I can't do it. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> and that's where Jesus will turn and says, well, good, because I did it for you. I removed the thread. I already gave you an A. Yes. Now come and relate to me. Amen. Okay? The next one is theology without faith. Talk without the walk. So the flesh is a master of disguise. Next one is autonomy. You know, autonomy meaning you're the Lord, you're a Lord of your own self. You know, you ever say this to other people, to yourself, I can do this. I can do it. I can lick this. I can do this. You know what that is? That's autonomy. The reality is you can't do it. Jesus said, without me, you can't do anything. But the flesh loves for you to try <laughs> to do it on your own so you get the glory. Uh, the next one is pretense. Okay? Um, pretense is, is a way of trying to make believe something is true when it's not. That's the way it is. The flesh loves to do that. You know, you know what it's gonna be, you know what you're gonna see in your life when the grace of God is really working deep in your heart? You know the first thing that you're gonna see? You're gonna see love. Because God is love. Love will be one of the first things that's gonna you're gonna feel in your heart for other people and for God. You're gonna be broken. You're gonna be real about your mistakes and your sins. All these things are characteristics of the grace of God working in you. Brokenness, openness, humility, love for others, generosity, joy. 
peace. And you won't have to fake it. It's just going to overflow out of your life. It's going to be real. People are going to see it without you even, even expecting it. So those are the desires of the flesh that you probably never heard of, but they are there. And they're, they're still a part of your life until you die one day and go to heaven. Then there's the desires of the spirit. The desire of the spirit is the exact opposite. It's to work in us obedience from the heart. It's to enable you to live in dependency of God. So he's always promoting you to depend on him. To take the old covenant and make it, and ta- to take the old covenant into a much more glorious covenant, which is the new covenant. So the Holy Spirit is passionate about the grace of God in the teachings of the New Testament. And that's what he wants you to learn. Amen. To humble you so that your theology reaches your heart. Amen. So it's no longer big head knowledge. <laughs> it is heart knowledge and understanding. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. He wants to do that, okay? He's the one who also enables you to live under the rule of God. So you're no longer the ruler over your own self. You are under the rule of God. And he works in us openness, conviction, freedom to own up to our sin, freedom to love. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me take you to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 to finish. Galatians 5, 24. It says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You know, when we read verse 24, we're like, our flesh is crucified. Yes. Crucifixion, okay, Uh, according to the Scripture, was the penalty that was paid for our sin. It was the penalty. You know, in the Old Testament, it it said that the, the soul who sins must die. So we were, we were destined to die for our sins. But Jesus stepped in our place. Went to the cross and paid the price in full for the sin that we committed. Amen. That's why when we say your sins are forgiven, they're paid. It's because they're paid for in full. No more payments necessary. So when he says crucifixion, can you put it back up there? Crucifixion, okay, he is saying the penalty has been paid in full, okay, for the acts of your flesh. The flesh has been crucified. So Paul is saying when Jesus was crucified on the cross, because we were in him, united with him, we were also crucified there with him. That's another way of saying, God is saying to us, I removed the penalties because I paid in full. With the penalties, I've removed the threat against your life of condemnation, of guilt, of death. I removed all that because your flesh was crucified. Okay, so I have legally removed all of that out of the way. Your flesh has been crucified. So So that means you don't need to live a fleshly life anymore. It's been done away with. It, it, can, it can be overcome. Hallelujah. Amen. It's, it, it doesn't have to be your master anymore. It's powerless against the power of God. And then that's where the second verse comes in. Okay? You're, if you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you are living in the Spirit. 
the fact. You're in the Spirit. Why? Because the power of, for New Testament Christian living is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. If you were in the Old Testament, it would say, if you are in the law, <laughs> that's what it would say. But because we're not in the Old Testament, we're in the New Testament, where the Spirit is the one who is helping us and empowering us to live the walk for Christ, we are in the Spirit. So the Spirit has been given us to do things in our lives that we could never do in our flesh. So we are in the Spirit. But it, also, but it says, let us also walk by the Spirit. So the we are in the Spirit part is the legal side. God has legally given us the Holy Spirit because our sins have been completely forgiven. We're dead free as far as God is concerned. So he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us in our walk. But we also need to learn how to walk by the Spirit. And we walk by the Spirit, how? By understanding the desires of the Spirit and cooperating with Him. Okay? And in a nutshell, I'm give you, I gave you the desires of the Spirit, but it all breaks down to these things. Believe, believe, believe. Believe what Jesus says about you. But how are you going to know unless you know the scriptures? Study the Bible. Believe because the Holy Spirit will always lead you to the Bible, to God's words. So what he wants you to do is to believe. Believe in effort. Believe what Jesus says about you and for you. And as you believe... Okay. What comes next? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's how it follows. Believe what God says about you. <laughs> His promises for you. Then comes the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Then after that comes the fruit of the Spirit. Those three are very important. If you can get that in your head, it's going to help you so much. So to walk in the Spirit means to yield to His desires. And you yield to His desires by knowing what He wants for you. What He wants for you is to believe what Jesus said. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Isn't that what it says in John? That He would remind us of everything that Jesus said? That's, his, that's what He does. He wants to remind you of the promises. And as you are remembering those promises, He empowers you. That's where the power is. So that's the perfect husband. He is perfect in a sense that everything he does in us is real, it's genuine, and it's perfect. And he has desires. And the desire is to work in us in a beautiful way, in a perfect way. The good news is he's at work. Now, he's, here's even better news. Even if you have difficulty believing at times, which we all do, right? We all, do, we all have difficulty believing. When I say believe, you're like, ugh. Mm. Sometimes, there, sometimes there's like two or three days that I don't believe. What then, pastor? The Spirit is still working. Because even in your 
moments of unbelief where you're trusting in your flesh, he is still working because he will allow you to go through situations where you find yourself incapable, underpowered, and frustrated. So in the end, you can repent and go back to him. So either way, he's working. He is working in your life. And every time you find yourself frustrated and weak and unable to resolve the matters in your own strength, that is God working. That is God allowing you to get to that point so you can say, okay, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust in you this time. And we may go through that in life repeatedly, but every time we do, it's a lesson for us to teach us that it's not by might or power, but it's by the Holy Spirit. Okay? This was part one, by the way. There's more. There's part two. That'll be next week. So do you receive this today? Right on time. How many of you are glad for the Holy Spirit? How many are glad for Jesus? How many are glad that your sins are forgiven? How many are, are, are glad that you're under the grace of God? Amen. How many of you are glad that God is not counting your sins anymore? Amen. How many are glad that the threat has been removed out of the way? Hallelujah. Amen.